Servant or Savior? Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Servant or Savior? And I think by the end of it, we'll realize that he is indeed both. Um, I'm excited to be amongst the people of God, honestly. I'm just excited to be with y'all for more reasons than not. Uh, One, uh, because me and my wife are celebrating our sixth year anniversary. Um, And it's just nice to celebrate that with people who just love you uh, and know what it means to really be loved. And so let me just say once again, babe, um, six years with you has been incredible. Um, It's moved so fast because we've had so much fun um, and we've had our challenges, but by God's grace, I thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done in my life. Uh, You've really grown me from a little boy to a man in so many ways. So I love you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate you, babe. Silly man. Get your own, Doc. Get your own, man. All right, uh, let's go before the Father. Let's go before the Father. Thank you so much, Lord, for your grace to us. Your goodness and your kindness extends for eternity. Even as we think about the words of that song, that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, but you're also Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and friend. Those phrases shouldn't go together. But God, you came and you loved and you served us. And so as we look at this most familiar passage, let us not run by anything in the passage, uh, but let's see you the way you have been painted in Scripture as our Savior who was a servant the one who loved us deeply, came down low and did the work that no one else would do. We love you, we honor you, and we praise your matchless name. Save somebody in here today and sanctify many souls and be celebrated by all. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, as I thought about this passage that has been preached so many times and so many people have looked at this particular passage, and many of you guys have read this passage. I was thinking of this idea of a servant leader and how much our culture just loves this idea. We love the idea of the guy or the lady who's usually the pretty girl or the pretty guy, the pretty boy, doing the dirty, grungy work. We like that. There's something about that that we like. We like when presidents go across to little places in Africa and serve poor people. We love when Bill Gates gives his resources to the poor. We just love when people who are in places of esteem come down low and do dirty work. We like it in sports. Uh, we, we, we love it when, when the quarterback throws an interception and he doesn't just go to the sideline and brush himself off a little bit. No, he gets into play and he stops a touchdown-saving tackle. We, we love, even in basketball, when the superstar comes up with a loose ball late in the game. We just like it when people who are in places of esteem do dirty work. Uh, one of my favorite coaches ever to play for, uh, I, I, I'll never forget him for the rest of my life, my JV coach in high school. I've had so many coaches that I've played. I've been playing since I was five, playing ball since I was five. But this one particular coach stands out for me. And it's not because he was nice to me. Uh, By the end of the season, he benched me, uh, took away my starting role. I was upset with him. He called me out in practice because of my so-called attitude. Didn't even know what that was about. Uh, But he, 
He was just, <laughs> no, no, I'm not owning it, Doc. I'm not owning it, Doc. <laughs> he was not cool, but there was something I loved about him more than any other coach. Every single drill, every single time he had us run suicides, every single time he had us run jump shots, every single time he had us doing this thing called sweat and bloods, every single time he had us do a drill, he completed the task first himself. And that's the type of leader that the disciples have right here. They have a leader that doesn't just dictate to them, but he does it himself. He's not a dictator. He's a disciple maker, and he shows them how I want you to accomplish the task that I'm telling you to do. And so as we come to this passage, this wonderful, great passage of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, we got to put our thinking caps on just a little bit. And there's two things we have to remember about who this is doing the washing of the disciples' feet. See, in the larger context of John, the word theos, the word for God in Greek, is used of Jesus in this book more than any other book in the New Testament. And so John is wanting to paint the picture that this is not just some mere guy. He's not cool. He's not just a nice buddy. But he is God in the flesh on high, the one who made all things and yet, and still, he serves. He also points out in this particular context that this is right after the triumphal entry. We all know what Palm Sunday is about, where the people laid down their palms and they screamed, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, declaring him to be the king of the Jews. And here, after this passage, is when Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. What an ironic time for him to do something so lowly. And so, reading verse 3, verse 3 says this. He said there was a purpose to what he did. Jesus, knowing, he had this in his mind, that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Keep that in mind. So everything else that we read is with that understanding, Okay? That he was coming from God and he was going back to God. He wasn't in some weird state. He knew that he was about to give his life. And on his bucket list is a real bucket. <laughs> he puts a bucket of, of water inside of a bucket and he's going to wash the feet of the disciples. He doesn't have like extravagant ideas about going to New Zealand and, and interacting with like all these weird animals and stuff. Like, no. He says, as I'm going to my death, I want to serve even on the way there. And so, as he comes to this, it's very ironic what happens at the triumphal entry that precedes this passage. Because we know about the palms that they laid down, but they also took off their outer garments. Well, look at what this verse says. It says, Jesus rose from supper. He left the enjoyment of his disciples. They probably laughing, kicking it. Uh, and we have Thanksgiving. It's a similar type of celebration, just a lot of people coming together. There's meant a lot more, but it's a celebration, a feast. And could you imagine just like leaving the laughter, leaving the fun, getting up, raising up to do something so lowly? So he, he, he uses this time to teach them. It says he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. So his outer garments were like rabbinical types garments. So they were to point to the fact that he was the teacher in the group. He lays that aside at this point. He lays aside his position to do something very lowly. And so here it is. He lays aside his garments 
right after the people laid off their garments to put it at his feet. So on the way to Jerusalem, he gets red carpet ministry. They literally take off their outer cloaks, put it at at the ground. So not only don't his feet touch the ground, but even the donkey under him feet don't touch the ground. And so they take off their outer garments to praise the king. And here that very king takes off his outer garments to serve people. How backwards is our God? (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. And so he goes on. And it's not just about what he took off, but it's about what he put on. What does it say next? It says, and he tied a towel around his waist. Now, this is signifying more than just him putting on a beach towel. This is signifying something. Like if I put on a tool belt, what you would understand is that I'm about to do maintenance work of some type, right? Now, if I put on a jacket and I had a stethoscope, you would understand that I'm about to give you a checkup. He puts on this towel to signify to them that he's putting on the role of a servant. He, he, he's not just this guy who's going to keep on, hold on to his position, but he lays that aside and puts on a towel to say that I'm here to serve. And this is once again, remember it, the one who was just proclaimed king of the Jews by people, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead is doing this. He girds himself with a towel. And so I want to stop there, and I want to give the main thrust of this passage and two things we need to take from it. First off, Jesus displayed his love through service. Jesus displayed his love through service. That's all throughout the text, and the way in which he did that, in order for him to serve us, he had to first be able to enter our messiness. Jesus enters the the most ugliest aspect of the disciples. Look at what it says next in verse 5. It says, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' nasty feet (laughs) and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, culturally, this was just a regular practice at supper. They They would wash the feet, and it was usually dictated to the person who was the lowliest in the house. So the person who was a servant in the house, and if there was no servant, guess who got to do the feet washing? The children. Because children ain't got no shame. They don't got no no cares. My kids right now, I I said in the first service, I'll say it again, won't tell you which one, but they will pick their boogers and eat them in public without any problem or shame. (laughs) No care at all. They, they, they will pass gas in front of you, tell you that they did it, and laugh in your face about it. I don't care about that. And so for a kid to wash feet, who cares? They eat their feet sometimes. It's not a big deal. But for an adult, for someone who was distinguished in society, for someone who was named their master and teacher, from someone who John says is the only begotten God, for him to do this lowly work, this is degrading. This is low. And here we go, okay? Put on your imagination cap, okay? Y'all seen SpongeBob before? I love this. Y'all remember when he did imagination, okay? And then the little rainbow, like he, all right. So I need you guys to put on your imagination caps, all right? Too many of y'all seen Spongebob. That bothers me for some reason. All right. So, he, so 
Here it is, he's walking up to the disciples' feet. Think about feet. Hmm, feet. Now, we've been married six years. It took me at least four of them to even look at her feet. Okay? Most of us, husbands, let's be real, there's nothing dignified about feet. And ladies, I don't care how much you paint them, Johns. I don't care how much glitter you put. They got the little stars that you can put on your toenails. It doesn't matter. You can put a diamond ring on it. They're ugly. They're nasty. They're feet. They're feet. And, and here it is that Jesus is on the worst side of the feet because he's not washing a lady's feet. He's washing dude's feet. So we know it's nastiness up in there. And here it is, here it is. Some of y'all are disgusted by even washing your spouse's feet. They have shoes on. So the worst that you get is a little bit of stench. Maybe y'all got some cornages, maybe. I don't know. But here it is that they're bare feet. Think about somebody walking bare feet in Philly. Grungy old Philly, where they let their dogs just do whatever and everywhere. And cats be spitting. You got all types of gum on the ground. You, you, you got all types of trash everywhere. We know the pigeons don't care where they let loose. And so this is the stuff that they're walking on. And then we're talking about 12 disciples who were not like these preppy guys. They're blue-collar workers, okay? Like, like Matthew the tax collector, save him. He might have got a pedicure or something, getting some bread, but not the other guys. We're talking about fishermen. They around nasty old fish all the time. Just stink feet. We know in a group of 12 guys, there got to be at least two of them with just nasty cornages. And then there got to be like two other ones with like the, y'all ever seen like the pointed toes, the vampire looking jaws? With the, the black and gray shaded toenails and all of that? Yeah, y'all grossed out, right? Nasty work right here. And if you feel the weight of that, this is what Jesus is saying to them. That there is absolutely no level of ugliness, no amount of stankiness, no amount of ratchetness that I'm not willing to enter to wash you clean. This should have grossed him out, and yet he embraced this moment. And so, for us, we have to see Jesus as the servant. But for him to do that, he had to enter their messiness. Point number two, to serve them, they had to be willing to let him enter their messiness. Look at this encounter with Peter. They had to be willing. Look at this encounter. It says, he came to Simon Peter, we already know we're in trouble, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now stop there. We think that Peter's being disrespectful by this. This is not a sign of disrespect. And Peter's also not no punk. Like we know that Peter was blue collar, but he was also a little bit thuggish. Like this is how I know this. Okay, so Jesus, Luke 22 uh, Jesus actually gives the commandment to the disciples that you can go and get swords. They come back with two. They say, we have two swords. Is that cool? He says, this is enough. Fast forward a few verses. Guess which one of the disciples has the sword? Peter. 
So the disciples looked around and said, hmm, if something goes down for real, which one do we want with the peace? That guy. Him. And so he's the one with the sword. This is how I also know he's a thug. Real, real legitimate one. Because he didn't do the talking dance when Jesus got arrested. The disciples were all even asking their Lord, like, should we fight right now? Is this about to go down? Like, how should we interact with this? Peter, none of that. None of that. None of that. And he didn't even do like the thuggish. Y'all know the little dance, like, what you going to do? What you going to do? What you going to do? Judas, what you going to do? None of that, dog. He literally, while they're asking questions, he asked none. <laughs> Judas says, what's up? Peter says, what cow? <laughs> so we're not dealing with some just running a mill type dude here. But when he gets around Jesus, this hard dude, something just changes with him. Because I don't care how much pride you have. I don't care how strong you think you are. When you meet someone much more honorable, you just change your demeanor. So here it is that Peter says, do you wash my feet? He's basically saying, Lord, I am absolutely unworthy of this honor. I'm absolutely unworthy of this honor. And this is what ends up happening. Jesus responds to him and says, well, let me say to you, <laughs> you know Jesus got to say something back. Um, he, says, he says, what I am doing you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. Then Peter says to him, you know he got to talk, you shall never, no never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, uh, have you ever been so overwhelmingly loved that your only response was to rebuke it? Like somebody was just so good to you that your only response was to like reject it, get out of the way. No, this is what's going on here. He's overwhelmed by the goodness of his Lord. And so he says, you will never watch me. Jesus takes it up a notch. He lets him know that this is not just me washing your feet, bro. I'm pointing to something much greater. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Doesn't it sound similar to when Jesus rebuked Peter when he said, get behind me, Satan? It's very similar. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He tells his disciples, Peter says, no, my Lord, my Redeemer, no, no way. I will never let you go to the cross. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Conversation over. Well, here we go again. Jesus is about to do something lower than what Peter thinks that his Lord should do. Peter rebukes him. Jesus says, if you don't get washed by me, you have no part with me. And Peter changes his mind very quickly. So this is what Peter says. He says, Lord, well, not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. And he wants him to wash all of him. But this is really what Peter's pointing to here. He's pointing to a traditional type of cleansing. 
Because what the, what the Jews would do is they would come into supper and they would wash their hands, signifying that, they, they, that they're clean of any sin that they've done in action. And they would wash their face, signifying that they're clean of any sins that they've done in their head. But here's the issue. Where's the heart in that? Where's the heart in that? And so that's why in the Old Testament, hands and head were never enough. Both lepers and sexually unclean, and even the high priest, all had to be fully immersed in the water. That every single aspect of who you are has to be perfectly clean if you're going to enter into the presence of God. And this is pointing to baptism, in which we are buried with Christ and raised to new life with Christ. And so what he's really pointing to is the fact that the only way that you're completely clean is not by some traditionalism, but it's by trusting in me, the Son. So, as Jesus interacts with him, he says this. He says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you were clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? What is he talking about? Well, he's obviously talking about something very spiritual in nature. He's saying, you guys have been bathed. And not because all of y'all took a shower before supper time. But you guys have been bathed because you placed your full trust in me. And by placing your trust in me, you have been made fully clean, spotless before God. There is nothing, no spot, wrinkle, or blemish in you whatsoever. You have been made completely clean. But then he says, except for the feet. Now, think about this. Why the feet? Why does this matter? Well, for anybody who's just taken a bath, if you're barefoot... The one place on your body that makes contact with dirt, that makes contact with the earth, is your feet. So that no matter how clean you are, you still will consistently make contact with the ground by your feet. And so what Jesus is saying is that in the same way that your feet continue to make contact with the dirt of the ground, so your flesh continues to make contact with the sin of the world. And so what does this mean for us? So here's the big idea is that if you have placed your confidence, if you place your trust in the Lamb of God, then you have been bathed fully in the blood of Christ. There is nothing else that you have to do more to be fully clean before God. And yet it doesn't end there. Because every day you make contact with the world. Every day you make contact with sin. That means that your feet must consistently be washed. That means you must consistently go to the God of grace. So here's what he's saying. He said, positionally, you're righteous, but progressively, I need to be washing you daily. You need to consistently come back for a washing from the God of grace because you consistently make contact with the filth of sin. Every single day go to him because there's never a day where you don't need to be washed by him. It does not end in conversion, y'all. It doesn't end there. And as we see through this whole interaction with Peter, what Peter's trying to do is he's trying to dictate how he should be clean. 
He's trying to say hands and head and all of this traditional stuff. And the reality is, is that many of us in here think that we know the best way to clean ourselves before a holy God. God says there's only one way to be clean before me. I used to play uh, football all the time when I was a young boy. And I would come home in the house and all this mud and dirt is on me and all of this type of stuff. And come back to the house and my mom was old school. She, she wouldn't let me in the house to track no dirt on her on her rug. She'd be like, boy, take them clothes off right now. Ain't nobody watching. I need you to go upstairs and take a shower. She never left it there. She would always get real specific about what she wanted me to do in the shower. She was like, I need you to take a small towel. I need you to get that small towel wet in the water. I need you to take soap and I need you to rub that around. I need you to then clean these particular body parts. I won't go into which one she talked about. Like she had to give all these specifics because honestly, if she didn't, I wouldn't do it. And what's funny, could you imagine if I came back to the house after being muddy, dirty, filthy, nasty, sweaty, all of that, came back to the house and was like, Mom, don't worry about it. I could come in because this morning... I brushed my teeth with Colgate. <laughs> See how ridiculous that sounds? And yet, that's exactly what some of us in here think we're going to do to the God of glory. We think that once we lose our lives, once we die, that we're going to go to him talking about some good works that we did to clean ourselves. And he's saying, you muddy and sweaty and nasty, you ain't coming in my house. He dictates not only the fact that we need to be clean, but how we get clean, and that's by the blood of the Lamb. So, as we move on in this passage, I love what happens next. He says, you have been completely clean. Guys, Christians, hear me out today. That every single believer who has placed their full confidence in Christ has been fully made righteous before God. Have y'all heard, heard the slogan? Y'all heard this commercial before? You're not fully clean unless you're... Yes, yes. In Christ, we've been Christ fully clean in every single way. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we need to daily go back to Him to be washed every day. So, here it is. Then in this, verse 12 says this, and we're getting to the application. It says, when he had washed the feet, their feet, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, we'll come back to that, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is one of the most simplistic and practical applications that you can ever find in all of Scripture. Basically saying this, the master has done it, the servant should do as well. And this is found all throughout Scripture. We love what? Because he first loved us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is what? Yours in Christ Jesus. And this is love that he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is just a consistent thing in all the scriptures. Do as the master does. Do as the master does. 
And so how are we to do this? How are we to love others through service? How can we possibly reflect the master in this way? Well, we serve like Christ served. We, we, we enter into places with other brothers and sisters. We, we, we have time with brothers and sisters. We eat lunch and dinner with brothers and sisters outside of life group. We use those times to draw near to one another and to Christ. We, we enter, hear this, guys, into work that is grimy that people think are beneath ourselves. We, we do things like facilities ministry. We do things like serving the kids upstairs. We do those things that seem like they're lowly and forgotten, and we engage in those areas of our church. But we also enter into the messy areas of others' lives. We enter those places that make us uncomfortable. We enter those places that, that take more than just a how are you doing, cool, keep it moving. We enter those places that are stinking, embarrassing. We enter those places, we ask difficult questions, and here's what happens. When they answer them a way we weren't expecting, we don't judge them at that time. It has to get real in here, y'all. Like Jesus was at the disciples' feet. He wasn't like, oh my gosh, y'all stink nasty, looking at Peter like, what are those? None of that. None of that. He didn't have any of that situation going on. As nasty as their feet were, he entered that space and embraced it and served and washed them. So we have to enter those spaces because I'm out of your way in a second. I am so hurt by the fact that I go outside of these walls and I share with Muslim brothers the gospel and I ask them why they left the church. And you know what they respond to me? They say, I just didn't find the brotherhood I was looking for in there. Does that pain you too? Well, there's something we can do about it. We can actually enter into those spaces and love one another well so that when they do come in, they will be rightly loved and cared for. The culture tells us don't know anybody, don't get that close, and yet the culture is longing for that. That's why sororities are so popular. That's why fraternities are so popular. The church should be popular for the same thing. We have the corner market on true brotherhood because only in our faith is God our true father. So enter into deep relationships with one another. Enter into their messiness and begin to point them to Christ. But also to be able to serve one another, we also must be willing to have the same done to us. We also must have the same done to us. And so, all of that's great. All of that's wonderful. But this story, I praise God, is so much more than just him washing feet, but it's really about him washing our souls. Let's look back at this passage and look at how it points to the greater gospel work of Jesus Christ. So we go back to verse 4, and it says, And he rose from supper. He left enjoying the disciples. He left communion with the disciples to do something very lowly. Isn't this what the gospel says? Is that he left communion with his Father, his heavenly Father in heaven. He left communion with him to do something lowly. He, he, he left enjoyment with his Father. We get so caught up in Ephesians 5. Wives submit to your husbands. Husband loves your wives. And Paul says it's all pointing to Christ in the church. 
This is what he has done in leaving his father and holding fast to a wife that is not heavenly. God, oh God, oh God, please don't miss this. How lowly this is. And then says after this in verse 5, said he laid aside his outer garments. So here Jesus stands up in a position of prominence and he literally takes off his outer garments, laying them to the side. He laid aside his position. He laid aside his preeminence. He laid aside those things in order to serve. Because look at what he puts on. He doesn't gird himself with sword and shield, though he is the Lord of hosts of the heavenly armies, as my man Pastor Larry taught us. He he, he didn't gird himself with a robe and a crown, though he is the king of kings and lord of lords. He didn't gird himself with with a linen effort and and some jewels of, of, of beryl and onyx and emerald and diamond, though he is the high priest. But he girded himself with a towel taking the form of a servant. And so as he does this, he he has to get low because to wash feet, you have to get down on the ground and he had to kneel. Friends, he, he went from a place of standing, a position of standing to a position of kneeling. He went, he went from being prominent to, to one who was humble. He went from, from heaven to, to, to earth. He, he came from a place of glory to a place of gloom, from a place of delight to a place of darkness. He came from a place where they revered his name to a place where they reviled him. He came from a place where they worshiped him consistently to a place where they whipped his back. He went from a place where they celebrated him to a place where they would crucify him. And this he did for you. This he did for you. And in coming down low, literally, Jesus had to get dirty. To to wash anything clean, something has to get dirty. There's a filth exchange. If I wash my car with a sponge, my yellow sponge is going to start turning brown. As my car gets cleaner, the sponge gets dirtier. There's a filth exchange. This is what Jesus did on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be filth, nastiness, disgusting for us, so that in him we might be the perfect righteousness, spotlessness of God. For us. And so he didn't even just enter into our messiness, he became it. He became your lust, he became your pride, he became our arrogance and rage and anger. He became all of that for you. All of that for you. He didn't just enter into our sin, he became it on our cross to justify us. But some point in time. Look at what verse 12 says. It says, when he had washed their feet. It's almost as if he got up and it was like to tell us that it's finished. Look at what the text says. He said, and he put back on his outer garments. He put them back on. He put back on his position of prominence. He didn't leave it there. He put back on his glory. He ain't leave it there. He put back on his worship, his glory. All of the things that make God who he is, he put it back on. Put it back on. 
And here it is. What does it say next? It says that he put back on his outer garments and he resumed his place. Friends, he was beat, he was whipped, he was mocked, he was spat on, he was all of those things, but guys, he resumed his place. He didn't stay there. So this is our Lord and Savior, the one who was beat, but all of those who beat him will one day bless him. All of those who mocked him will one day magnify his name. All of those who kicked him will one day kneel at his presence. All of those people who did him dirty, little guys, will one day look at him and say, King of kings and Lord of lords. Why? Because our God, who got so low to enter the messiness of our human selves, resumed his place. He resumed his place. So I'm out your way. Just ask you guys, if you don't know Christ, it's a now or later situation. You will either worship him now, bow before him now, or you will do it later because he has indeed resumed his place. Um, but for believers, I'm challenging you guys, go deeper with one another. Serve in a deeper capacity with one another. Love one another in a way that says, I'll enter those ugly spots to serve you and be willing to have the same done to yourself. Let's pray.